Welcome to Success in Medicine. I'm Dr. Samir Desai. Did you know that one in four U.S. physicians is an international medical graduate? The first IMGs in the U.S. were certified by the Educational Commission for Foreign Medical Graduates, also known as ECFMG, in 1958. Since then, tens of thousands of IMGs have achieved ECFMG certification and have gone on to complete their residencies in the U.S., those first IMGs were pioneers, leading the way for those that followed them. But every generation or wave of IMG physicians who have established themselves in the U.S. have had their own unique stories to tell. These are powerful stories of the ups and downs associated with matching into residency. We can learn so much from these stories, and that's why I felt it was important to bring on to the podcast today Dr. Bruno Lima. Bruno is a physician from Brazil who successfully matched into internal medicine here in the U.S. He is currently a cardiology fellow at Emory University. Bruno is a remarkable young physician for so many reasons. He is committed to excellence in patient's care, he is dedicated to teaching, and he's made significant contributions through research. But I want to tell you about something else that makes him special. It's his desire to share his story with others and to provide guidance and mentorship to those who follow him. It's one of his passions, and as he talks about his professional journey in medicine, you'll hear that passion in his voice. As Bruno walks us through the most meaningful moments in his career to date, we'll talk about why he made certain choices, how those decisions helped him grow as a person and as a professional, and what it means for you as an international medical graduate. So it is my great pleasure to welcome Bruno Lima to our show. Bruno, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, uh, Dr. Desai, and thank you so much for this invitation. I'm really flattered with this opportunity to talk to you and try to help some of our colleagues who are trying to pursue their dream of coming here to the United States. Absolutely, Bruno. I think you and I share a lot of common interests. We both have a real passion for mentoring and guiding others. And I want to start our conversation by asking you to tell us a bit about yourself, a bit about your background. Oh, of course. Uh, so I was born and raised in Brazil, and I grew up in the 90s there. I was always passionate about the, the American culture. And during my teenage years, I, I had the opportunity to come here to the United States uh, to spend some time. That's when I decided to come here. And since then, I, I ended up uh, gravitating everything that I did towards like you know, building a path you know, to come to the United States. And I did medicine in Brazil. I graduated in 2010. And then I started a PhD in pharmacology there uh, in Fortaleza in my city, uh, which is in the northeast part of the country. And during that time, while I was attaining my PhD, I was also working at this indigenous reserve that was about two hours away from Fortaleza, trying to get some money to pay for the process that is very expensive. And I ended up matching in 2014 at the International Scholars Track, the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. I was very happy there in Pittsburgh from 2014 and 2017. They had a special track for international medical graduates that have a strong background in research. And in 2017, I was fortunate enough, you know, to match here in Atlanta uh, at the Emory program for uh, their, their cardiology disease program. 
And that's where I'm at right now. I'm finishing this fellowship uh, next year, and I'm moving to Boston. I'm going to bring a women's hospital for a multimodality cardiac imaging program there. So that's where I am. <laughs> well, well, Bruno, thank you so much for sharing that background information with us. Now, I know you and I, we've talked a little bit about how big of a step it is to you know, leave your country and come to the U.S. for residency training. And, and you and I both know that there are people from all over the world who, who do this and, or who are thinking about this. And it's, it is a big, big step. I myself grew up here in the U.S., so I have not experienced that, but I've heard that from many of my colleagues about what a challenge that was. And certainly from a lot of the international medical students and graduates that I mentor and I teach. So I hear that, uh, that feeling that uh, they get across to me. You know, from my own experience, my parents, uh, they grew up in India and they moved to the United States in the 1960s. Now, of course, neither one of them were uh, in the medical field. So uh, that was a challenge for them. But when I think about moving from another country to the U.S. and doing a residency training, that that is one of the biggest challenges that I can imagine, you know, someone uh, facing on their road to becoming a doctor. And I want to talk a little bit about your journey. Uh, in your case, although you grew up in Brazil, you spent some time in the U.S. when you were a high school student. So can you tell us about that experience and how it influenced your decision to train and practice in the U.S.? Oh, absolutely. And I was very fortunate because I had the opportunity to come here to the U.S. I was probably 15, around 15 or 16 at that time. And I spent a year uh, in Bristol, Tennessee during high school. And I believe that was during my second week here. We ended up going on this trip to Washington, D.C. And I was flabbergasted by D.C.'s architecture. I remember vividly going to the Capitol and exploring all of the Smithsonian museums. And it was at that exact time that... Uh, this, this sentiment, you know, struck me at that time, this gut feeling that here, the U.S. was was my place, was my home. It's something that is very subjective. But for me, this is when I had, you know, when I was certain that uh, the, the U.S. was my home. And as I mentioned before, everything that I did from, from that point on gravitated towards creating that path, you know, making that path possible for me to come here. And I always, you know, dream about, you know, becoming a doctor because my dad, he's an ophthalmologist in Brazil. So he was a huge influence. And that's kind of, you know, what I, what I did afterwards. Did med school in Brazil. And I graduated, as I mentioned, you know, in 2010. But everything that I did during med school and before that was towards creating that path, enabling me to come here afterwards. I completely understand. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who are you know, on this path to come to the U.S. and to pursue their residency training. And it's a big decision. Uh, not only is it a big professional decision, but there's a lot of personal factors involved in that. And I know you're a big believer in having people who are contemplating this decision to learn as much as possible about the U.S. before they decide to take that leap. So for people who are thinking about coming to the U.S. for their residency, what are some recommendations you would have for them to kind of guide them in this uh, thought process? Well, first and foremost, it's not an individual decision. It's a decision that, of course, you know, you're going to take, but it's, it's going to affect everybody around you. It's going to affect 
all of the people that are part of, of your support system, being like your parents or your spouse if you're married or your kids if you have kids. So first and foremost, everybody needs to be on board because you're going to need that social support when the time comes in which, you know, there'll be uncertainties or you're going to, you know, not motivated enough you know, to proceed. So having a good social support is fundamental for the success in this process. And secondly, some of the people that I talked who are contemplating coming to the United States, they, they never came here, you know, they never experienced process of, you know, coming here and, you know, spending some time in some hospital. And I think that's something that changes the mind of many people. Some people, they have this idealized vision of the healthcare system here that is sometimes, you know, based on trivial things like TV shows. And it's important actually for you to come here and experience it and see how you feel if you, if you have that kind of, you know, gut feeling, because part of that is subjective and at the same time you need to understand that there's differences you know in the culture for instance you know in my case i came from brazil which it's a place that works in a much slower pace than the u.s people here compared to brazilians you know they're less open you know it takes some time until you build relationships and ultimately you need to adapt a little bit to the country's culture it's not going to happen the other way around right so so you need to feel with if the place uh, here is actually the right place, you know, for you. And there's many ways of figuring that out. I mean, coming here is the easiest way, but not everybody has the resources of doing so up until, you know, it's pretty late in the process, like, you know, final year of med school when, whenever they were coming here uh, for electives. But, you know, talking to other people, other folks, you know, connecting on the internet, uh, you know, via Facebook or Instagram or YouTube, lots of people, you know, are willing to share their experiences and, and gathering as much information as possible is, is another, you know, important tip. So I believe that these two things in particular are, are extremely important. You know, first, have everybody on board. And secondly, you know, try to expose yourself, you know, to the culture here and see if it fits your personality. I think your point about talking to as many people as you can is such a great point. Uh, you know, the wonderful thing about, you know, the whole world here is we're so connected and so many people from different countries have uh, gone and practiced in a lot of different locations. And of course, in the U.S., one of the things that makes the practice of medicine so wonderful is the people that are caring for our patients and they come from all over the world. So certainly wherever you are in the world, you have resources that you can lean on, right? The people who have walked this path before you. And I think reaching out to them to get an idea of what it was like for them really gives you a rich perspective. You can learn about, you know, the things that they found easy, as well as the things that uh, were difficult, you know, what were the challenges that they experienced. And, you know, hearing that from people who've gone through that is really insightful. Now, I want to talk a little bit about your medical school years, and you were involved in quite a bit of volunteer work. One volunteer organization you took part in was uh, Operation Smile. And for our listeners who may not be familiar with Operation Smile, this is a volunteer organization, a nonprofit that was started about 40 years ago to provide cleft lip and palate repair surgeries to children all over the world. And I wanted to ask you, Bruno, why did you get involved in this organization and, and what did you do through this involvement? So Operation Smile, it was maybe, yeah, I think it was the first 
uh, volunteer experience that I had during med school. It was it's it's an organization that has been established for many many years. And Fortaleza was one of the original sites that Dr. Bill McGee, who founded the operation, started. So every year, I think it was either around September, October or so. Dr. McGee and his crew, including lots of nurses and anesthesiologists and other plastic surgeons, they would come you know, to Fortaleza and they would operate on uh, hundreds of kids. And they would need people, you know, other, you know, resources, special local resources, you know, translators, people who could organize, you know, the crowd. And given my background, you know, given the fact that I was fluent in English, uh, f- from the beginning, I was able to interact closely with the medical group, and I was a, a medical translator. So I followed the, the, the surgeries, and I, I followed, you know, crew throughout the city, you know, during the week that they were there. So I was able to establish a relationship with them that was beyond, you know, the medical field. And some of these people are still my, my Facebook friends, but to today, uh, most of them, they came from University of Virginia. Uh, where Dr. Bill McGee uh, was originally established. And I think it was my first close interaction with American doctors. And again, going back, you know, to, to that gut feeling that I had, you know, years before uh, in high school, uh, that here was my place. I mean, that experience was another confirmation that this is, you know, what I wanted to be. You know, talking with these people, I really uh, I got along really well. And it was another step, you know, through the process of coming here. So I was really fortunate to to be able to have this opportunity. And I encourage everyone, you know, any country that you are, there might be, you know, some kind of a nonprofit organization like Operation Smile that might be operating. And if you if you want to have more exposure, you know, to the American medical system, it's it's a great way of, of getting it. And also, it's a great way to practice in English if English is not your first language. Those are excellent points, Bruno. I'd just like to add a few points on top of what you just mentioned. You know, I've had a lot of conversations with international medical students and graduates all over the world, and they have experienced something similar to what you experienced through Operation Smile. You know, they were able to take part in some sort of volunteer activity in their home country, which involved people from other countries. So in in your case, there were U.S.-based physicians like Dr. McGee, who had come down to Brazil. They, too, have had those types of experiences, and they ended up being very transformative in their lives. You know, I remember one uh, international medical graduate from China who happened to volunteer in a clinic in a underserved area of China that was staffed by U.S.-based physicians. And those physicians had come to that part of China to practice patient-centered medicine. And for her, the way that they were practicing medicine was so different than what she had seen through her own education that it ended up being very inspirational to her and really made her think that, you know what, I need to come to the U.S. and take part in some U.S. clinical experiences because I really identify with what I've seen here in this clinic. And it really led her not only to come to the U.S. to gain that clinical experience, but she ultimately uh, became a resident here. Another example of that, Bruno, is... uh, I I met uh, an international medical graduate from Kenya, and he was working in one of the hospitals in Kenya after he had finished his internship there. And at that time, there happened to be a U.S. medical resident who was spending one month at that hospital on a global health elective, and the two of them 
got a chance to work together and really struck up a bit of a friendship. And through those conversations, this international medical graduate really got a feel for what it's like to be a resident in the U.S. So even though he had not yet been to the U.S., here he is learning about the U.S. from somebody who was uh, a current resident. And so getting back to what you were saying, these are rich opportunities, no matter where you are, to forge some relationships with U.S.-based physicians where you can not only learn about what it's like to practice medicine in the U.S., but you get exposed to you know, different ways of thinking, different ways of practice. And it really starts to help you become more informed about whether you want to make this big decision. So when you were saying, Bruno, about this opportunity to connect with U.S.-based physicians, and it sounds like you are, you know, still in contact with some of them through through Facebook. But you know, it's it's a wonderful opportunity that you know where you can see things in a different way. And I think for you, you had spent time in high school here, but you know, this was probably you know more formative for you because this occurred later in your life, and it probably made a different type of impression. Is is that right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the most important thing in life is to establish, you know, some of these decisions. I mean, some of these, you know, key moments, you know, in your life in which you, you realize, you know, that you want to follow, you know, path A or path B or path C. My case, you know, just coming to the U.S. and also, you know, becoming a doctor. So during that opportunity, that was when I first heard about process, about, you know, the, the West MLE process, because... Uh, one of the, the crew members, uh, he was still a medical student at UVA, and he was telling me all about it. And it was one of my first experiences hearing about how the process actually worked, you know, from somebody inside of the system. And going back to this decision of, you know, going from path A, you know, to path B, once you establish, once I established that I wanted, you know, to come here to the United States to practice, I ended up taking lots of micro decisions that would lead me a step closer, you know, each time. And that was a huge step, you know, that I took. And for me, internally, it was a realization that it was possible and there was like a pathway to follow. That was the first time that I, I oh, um, I, I forgot to mention. So, so it was during that time that I, I got a gift, you know, from that student from UVA. Mark was his name. So he gave me his first aid. So my first aid, you know, that, that I got, and the first one that I got, you know, which was came, you know, as a gift, you know, during this uh, episode that happened, what, like 15 years ago. So, so yeah, I mean, now I, I remember, you know, that episode. But again, I mean, it's like lots of, you know, micro decisions that you make for you to going from where you are, who you are right now, to uh, who you want to become, you know, in the future. And, and that's definitely a, a crucial moment, you know, in my life. So volunteer experiences like the one you had, you know, they can shape us in so many different ways. And I want to talk a little bit more about volunteer work in medical school, because one of the questions that I get asked very commonly by international medical students and graduates is, how is volunteer work? that's done in other countries? How is that received by residency programs? And what I tell these future residency applicants is that volunteer work is, is important for so many reasons. We obviously get involved in this, not necessarily for the benefits to our career, but it brings us a lot of fulfillment in different ways. But clearly, from our research on residency selection, we know that programs and program directors value volunteer work. And we like to see that people get involved in volunteer work, but programs 
also prize when your involvement runs deeper. So if you have a chance to get more immersed and to even take on a leadership role in a volunteer experience, that can really enhance your application even more. So I want to talk a bit about another volunteer activity that you were involved in, and it has to do with this organization called Unite for Sight. And you actually founded the first Brazilian chapter of this organization. And I wanted to see if you could tell us about Unite for Sight and how you got that off the ground in Brazil. Yeah, so Unite for Sight, which was a nonprofit organization, pretty similar to Operation Smile. It was founded by Jennifer Staple, who was at that time, it was 2006, I believe, 2005, 2006. She was at that time a Yale medical student and now she's she's an ophthalmologist. And my dad, he's, he's an ophthalmologist, and I wanted to follow his steps. So I first heard about this organization when I was looking for opportunities, opportunities to you know do some volunteer work you know, in that area. It was one of the very few, few organizations, uh, nonprofit organizations that was doing some kind of uh, volunteer work you know, in ophthalmology, and it was pretty unique in which it would basically bring American ophthalmologists to developing countries to perform uh, free cataract surgeries. And also, uh, they would help, you know, provide uh, these communities with, you know, teaching to increase awareness about ophthalmologic diseases. And so I, I reached out, you know, to Jennifer at that time, and they were extremely supportive. And we founded the first chapter. And because my, my father was an ophthalmologist, you know, was able to connect with other ophthalmologists in Fortaleza. And we were able, you know, to organize those local events in which uh, they would have cataract operations, you know, for, you know, dozens of people. And also we would go to public schools in Brazil and teach the teachers how to recognize eye problems uh, in kids like amblyopia that could be intervened early on and, you know, we could potentially, you know, treat those issues, you know, at, at an earlier stage in which that there will be uh, chances of, uh, you know, recuperating their, their visions among, you know, other things. So it was like an interesting experience. But for me, I think the most important aspect of that experience was that I, at that time, I was still like a very, you know, shy, uh, I, I always had this kind of you know, more, you know, uh, in, I was always a kind of an introvert, this kind of, you know, shy personality. But 20 years ago, I was extremely shy. I was, I was very introvert. And with that, I was forced, you know, to reach out, you know, to other people, you know, to other doctors, attendings, uh, you know, people uh, from, you know, here, you know, sometimes we also had, uh, you know, th- those meetings in which, you know, we, we would have, you know, to present our findings or, you know, we would have, you know, to present what we were doing, you know, in our chapter in Brazil, you know, in, in English to, to other, you know, attendings and other, you know, students from all over the world. So for me, I was forced, you know, to get out of my comfort zone and become more courageous, you know, more assertive. So... The major benefit, you know, that I took from that experience was was that was to become more assertive, you know, and more courageous, you know, in terms of uh, talking to the public and all of that. So I think that those volunteer experiences, they are important not only for you to have like, you know, something cool to put in your CV, 
more important than that, you know, these are experiences that we need to make you, to force you out of your comfort zone so you can become a better person overall. There was another volunteer experience, you know, that I had. I mean, people decided to comment about that, you know, during my interviews, but it's always like, you know, in my CV, uh, it was a project that was called the Project Y, which is clown therapy, you know, that we did in Brazil. So basically, we, we had to dress up, you know, as clowns, and then we went to a children's hospital there at the university hospital of my university and you know dress as clowns i mean we would go there i would love you know playing the guitar you know grab my guitar and i would just you know sing with the kids and everything and it was another amazing opportunity you know for me to get out of my comfort zone and to become more courageous and all of these experiences, I mean, they are, you're always learning something from them. And not necessarily, these are things that you need, you know, to put on your CV, to stand out. Uh, it's not something fancy sometimes, but it's something that would change you, you know, would change you from the inside and would make you a better person, you know. Bruno from 15 years ago is a completely different person from who I am right now. But all of these experiences, you know, they shape me to who I am. And everything comes together during an interview. You know, your confidence level, your maturity. And having these experiences, you know, that's what makes us grow up. And ultimately, you know, that's what program directors they want. You know, they want somebody who's reliable, somebody who's courageous, you know, somebody who can speak to the public, somebody who is mature, you know, and, and you need to go out and explore and just, you know, seek discomfort. <laughs> if, if I had to put this on a bumper sticker, you know, what I learned from all of these experiences, it would be that, you know, seek discomfort. And that's what I tell for, you know, some of the, the, the main seasons you know, that I have you know, from Brazil, you know, that wanted to come here. No, that, that is wonderful advice, Bruno. I'm having visions of you in a clown suit playing the guitar. Maybe that's something that uh, one day you'll yeah. be able to <laughs> show us in, in, yeah, in real life. Yeah, your pictures. That is fantastic. And I, I 100% agree with you that, you know, these are the moments that we cherish from these experiences, right? When we've had a chance to bring joy to other people and volunteer work certainly allows us to do that. And as you said, it pushes us out of our comfort zone and that helps us in so many ways uh, in our lives. So thank you for sharing uh, all that with us. I want to stay in your medical school years and talk to you about your clinical experiences in the U.S. So you completed six months of clinical electives in the U.S. And I know a lot of our listeners are thinking about doing that. So I wanted to ask you, how did you decide where to do these electives and what are some important considerations for international medical students and graduates who are trying to come up with their own rotation plans? Yeah, so whenever deciding to do your electives, um, well, first, you need to understand that the electives, they form this tripod of, which basically you know, forms the base uh, of what is needed for you to match in a program here. So, so the three main things are, you know, your, your scores, of course, you need to prove that you have some really great fund of knowledge. So scores are extremely important. Having some clinical experience here especially uh, hands-on, you know, clinical experiences, either through electives or through some internships. So you can act as a final year medical student, as an American fourth year medical student. So you can prove to 
whoever is evaluating your application that you're as capable as a medical student here. And lastly, through those experiences, you know, if, if you can impress, you know, an attending that can write a meaningful letter of recommendation. So if you have those three components, you can match in most of these specialties. Okay. So of course that there are some specialties that are extremely competitive and you will need something else. But for the most part, you know, these are the three major important things that you're going to need, you know, to come here to the U.S. And the way that I selected the places that I wanted to go, in part, you know, it has to do with availability, right? Not every place, every institution would offer uh, those opportunities. So first, you know, I basically, you know, search and there, there's like few websites and, you know, some people on social media, you know, talking about, you know, their, their experiences. And I started, you know, from, from there, you know, from talking to friends, taking a look you know, at the Internet and looking at academic institutions here that would provide hands-on experience that I could, you know, participate and especially, you know, the ones that had like a track record of, you know, some, some Brazilian students, you know, that came and had a good experience. So through that, I was able to spend a couple of months at the University of Pittsburgh uh, Medical Center. I had a friend who was an uh, oncology fellow, you know, there and he helped me to get, you know, to, to get connected, you know, to, to the people who made the decision in terms of, you know, bringing you to the University of Pittsburgh. Same thing, you know, with Johns Hopkins. You know, I've, I've worked there with the research mentor and he opened the doors, you know, so I could do a, a sub-internship there, you know, at the CCU. But aside from these uh, two places, you know, that I got, you know, through contact, you know, that I had, I went to the Memorial Kettering Cancer Center that has a really well-established program for international medical graduates. I did a sub-internship there in Madison, which is a great opportunity for me to, you know, practice a lot, uh, you know, case presentations and how to be efficient. So I was acting as, as an intern. And for me, it was, oh my gosh, it, it was really challenging, especially during the first couple of weeks. But after that time, you know, you start understanding you now how the hospital system works. So for me, it was one of the most important rotations you know, that I did. So I spent a month there you know, at the Memorial Kettering Cancer Center, as I mentioned. I went to the Brigham to do a cardiology rotation there. And I was really fortunate because my attending during almost the entire month was Dr. Patrick O'Gara, who was the president of the American College of Cardiology and who was one of my ladder writers. And I, I, I really cherished you know, that opportunity there. And it was one of the, the main opportunities that kind of, you know, shaped me into wanting to do cardiology, you know, because Dr. O'Gara, he's one of the best doctors that I've ever seen in action. He's an amazing teacher and um, an amazing doctor. So all of these experiences, you know, that I had here, I think they were fundamental for me to understand, you know, how a resident works. And having those six months here, I had a strong base. So after a few years, after I returned here for my residency, I knew exactly what was expected from me in terms of discharge planning, in terms of case presentations, in terms of even like, you know, silly little things. Like whenever you're admitting a patient, you know, what, what's the role of the medical student? Like, you know, doing a good, you know, reliable medication reconciliation, for instance, you know, doing, making sure that, you know, you talk to the patient about goals of care, code status, all of these things I learned, you know, during my, my rotations, you know, and, um, you need to come here and, and have those experiences, you know, so you know what's expected from you. 
it's very hard for you to function here and not have like a really rocky start if, if you don't have those experiences, you know, during med school. Uh, so I strongly recommend everybody who's thinking, contemplating the fact of coming here to the United States, you know, for their, for, for residency, you know, to at least, you know, consider a couple of months here doing, you know, hands-on electives. Bruno, I also want to talk to you a bit about research because you also took part in research in the U.S. during medical school. Now, what advice would you have for students when they're thinking about whether to do research and how to go about picking a research mentor or a project? First things first. uh, So research is a matter of passion, okay? When I was growing up in Brazil, I had this idealistic view of what a scientist, you know, was. I was a huge fan of Back to the Future. And as a kid, I wanted to be like Dr. Emmett Brown, you know, doing like those crazy experiments and, you know, doing all of these cool stuff. Uh, But of course, that whenever you start working with research, you know, you see that there are definitely, you know, some of those, you know, eureka moments or there are definitely, you know, some moments in which, you got your paper published and there's like this dopamine rush. But most of the time you're doing lots of, you know, tedious work. So first you need to be really passionate about the question. And I was always fascinated by this kind of interaction between like the brain and the heart. And there are very few people in the world, you know, who are prolific in this kind of research. And also, I always dreamed about, you know, going to Hopkins. So I was looking for mentors, possible mentors at Hopkins. Hopkins, they had at that time, and I think they still have, you know, this this kind of research elective opportunities for medical students. Uh, You can spend up to like nine weeks, you know, there. And you apply, you know, through their uh, website, but it needs to be approved by a faculty. You know, a faculty member needs to accept you before you're able to to apply. Uh, so I spent almost six months uh, sending emails to Dr. Roy Zilgesen. Uh The reason why I chose Dr. Zilgesen is because other than the fact that the research that he was doing was really interesting, he was... And he is, I believe, you know, the faculty member at Hopkins who got most teaching awards like ever since Hopkins existed. And that's a testament that that person, you know, is really concerned about uh, their students, you know, their mentees, because you need to be nominated by medical students. You need to be nominated by residents, you know, to to, to get these kind of awards. So, so that's like a good way of gauging, you know, who would be more you know, who would be more willing to have some, you know, face-to-face time, you know, with you and sit down and, and try to mentor, you know, through the process, you know, just uh, taking a look, you know, at those professors, you know, that, that got, you know, teaching awards. So that's what I did. The other thing is that Dr. Zilgesen was at the time program director at the Bill Hopkins Bayview Medical Program. And as a dream of going to Hopkins, I thought that, you know, going to the Oslo program might, might would be like a, a really long shot. So, Uh, But at least I would probably have a chance of going to Bayview, you know, if I had the opportunity to work with Dr. Zilgesen. So it was a little strategic as well, you know, from that sense. Uh, But mostly because, you know, he is like a fantastic mentor. He wrote papers on uh, how to match or how to maximize your chances of matching, you know, the teaching awards, all of these things. So I, I wanted to work with that guy that, as a matter of fact, I mean, you interviewed him, you know, a few years ago. And I spent like three months, you know, the first time that I went there and then I, I returned, you know, to Hopkins like you know, a few times. 
and we, we did like you know some some systematic reviews research on depression cardiovascular disease as a matter of fact it was the first paper that i got published it was a paper at jama systematic review at jama that it's now a classic has more than 500 citations on google scholar also it opened lots of doors for me you know, in terms of, uh, you know, interviews. I mean, having a paper at JAMA, you know, everyone that would look at your CV would be willing, you know, to, you know, consider you for, you know, an interview, especially if that's followed by uh, strong letters of recommendations and great scores and all of that. So, so I was very fortunate, but at the same time, it was six months of sending emails to Dr. Zirgas here up until I got a positive response. So uh, all of this effort, you know, paid off in the end. To date, I mean, he's, he's my still my mentor, you know, he wrote letters for my green card application a couple of years ago, and we are still communicating. Every time I have like, you know, some kind of communication in that area, you know, I send him an email, you know, we, we talk and I mean, it's a, like a mentor-mentee relationship. It's a relationship that goes on, you know, for life. And if you want to advance in your career, having a mentor, just like be an athlete and having a good uh, manager, just like yesterday we saw the fight of Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. in a boxing match. And Tyson, he, he had, uh, remember, it's, I think it's Don King, you know, his manager. Uh, all of those huge contracts, millions and millions of dollars, you know, in part is because, of course, Tyson is a great fighter, but at the same time, he had a great manager. So a mentor is really central for the advancement of, of your career, not only during residency, but fellowship and as a faculty, I imagine. That is an excellent point, Bruno. And that's one of the things that really strikes me as I listen to you speak and as I listen to the stories that you are sharing with us, that every step along the way, there have been people in your life that have played an influential role. I think back to what you said during your U.S. clinical experience and how, you know, you had, you know, a great teacher and a mentor there. And of course, during your initial research experiences in the U.S. And, you know, those people who are great mentors, they are out there. I know sometimes students may have a hard time finding them, but if you are determined and uh, you move about with a certain degree of persistence, you will locate those people and uh, they do want to give back because they themselves can point to someone who mentored them. And I want to talk a bit about what you're doing now as a mentor, because I know this is a passion of yours. You started USMLE Brazil a number of years ago as a way for people to network with one another. I'm wondering if you can tell us what USMLE Brazil is, tell us a bit about it, how it started, and, and how it's evolved over time. Yeah, so USMLE Brazil exists for about 15 years now, which was a group effort by several medical students and residents and doctors in Brazil who shared the same goal of coming here to the United States. At that time, we had this community on ORCUT, which was, it's, it's kind of a primitive version of Facebook that was really popular in Brazil 15, 20 years ago or so. And I was able to become kind of a leader, you know, of that group, especially after it migrated to Facebook. And I also created a YouTube channel and now I have an Instagram page. And through YouTube, I was able to answer some of the most common questions that people had. And also through this process, uh, uh, people would just you know, reach out to me. You know, I was sharing my experiences that I was having, you know, with coming here, you know, doing all of these rotations and doing research and 
I was also, you know, fortunate to get really good scores, you know, at the 260s, you know, range. And I share my experience over there. And many people, you know, just reach out to me, asking me what was my strategy to study for the exams and strategies, you know, for interviewing and all of that. And interestingly enough, right now, there are probably around like almost like 30 people that I've mentored that are now residents or fellows or even attendings. One of the most remarkable examples is Bruna, Bruna Oliveira. Uh, she, you know, she's, a, she's an instructor in anesthesiology at MGH. You know, she completed her residency at MGH, you know, and she's a Harvard professor now, uh, one of my mentees. And there's like many other people uh, who are here. And, and I'm really proud of the advancements of all of these people, these remarkable people. And at the same time, you know, the process of moving from Brazil to here, you know, to America, it's kind of a long process. And through that, I was able to make lots of great friends. And I can tell that most of the major cities here in this country, if I travel around, I know that I will have a couch you know, to stay. And, and that's really important, you know, developing those relationships you know, with these amazing people and being able you know, to make a change you know, in their lives. It's something that, for me, it's, it's priceless. And I was able to accomplish that you know, through, through that community. And I mean, I, I think that's what I plan, you know, to do in the future, you know, after, after I grow up, uh, quote unquote, you know, grow up and after I become an attending, you know, that's definitely something that uh, I'll be, you know, looking for, you know, try to mentor people and try, you know, to give back because I went through hell, you know, in this process. And I learned a lot. Uh, I just, you know, want to get people to try to avoid, you know, some of the mistakes that I did and try, you know, to counsel people, you know, based on my past experience and the experience of some of these people that I met, you know, had. So it's, it's a real privilege, you know, for me to be able to do that. And that is wonderful. And, um, you know, I'm sure you've had many incredible moments guiding your mentees and to see them reach, you know, the points that they have. It has to be incredibly fulfilling to see that. You know, when when I speak to groups in medicine, one of the messages I try to leave them with is that uh, we all have people in our lives that have played roles in, in different ways to, uh, you know, help us get to where we are. And I myself try not to lose sight of that. And uh, no matter how busy we become, I just really big believer that uh, we need to have some time set aside to guide those that are coming after us. And it's really great what you're doing. And I wanted to ask you a little bit more about USMLE Brazil, because I know you get many, many questions from your USMLE Brazil followers about residency in the US and how to match successfully. What are some of the most common questions that you receive? Well, there are different levels, I would say, from the most naive people who are just starting to get to learn about how, how the process works. Some of the questions, you know, are kind of, um, you know, are like, oh, is it possible to, to practice in the U.S. being a doctor, you know, from Brazil? You know, things like that. Or do they sponsor a visa? Or do they pay you a salary during residency? You know, things like that. So these are like, you know, level one questions that I would say. And it goes all the way, you know, to like the more pro questions that are related to, oh, which specific resources, you know, should I use? What kind of Anki, you know, deck should I use to study for step one or step two CK to, oh, how can I get or how can I apply for, you know, electives in the United States, like hands-on electives, you know, in the United States. 
these are like some of the most common questions, you know, that I get asked or, you know, the people sharing on the group as a whole. And, and these questions, I mean, they, they repeat themselves. But of course, it's just as like a patient with a fever or, you know, a patient with a myocardial infarction. I've seen like hundreds and hundreds of maybe like thousands of patients presenting with myocardial infarction. You know, it's the same pathophysiology, but every patient experienced in, in a different way. Right. So it's the same thing for the, the medical students or the doctors who are planning to come here. There's like different backgrounds. There are people from uh, even like high school students who are not even, you know, in, in medical school, but, you know, who dream to come here and want to understand a little bit about the process through doctors who have 20 years of experience who are abandoning their practices in Brazil, you know, to migrate here for one reason or another. So we have, you know, everybody, you know, within that spectrum. And, and it's, it's, it's a great way, you know, to connect you know, with fascinating people. And I simply love it. That's the wonderful thing about having a community like USMLE Brazil is, you know, there's so many people that can offer their perspectives and their guidance. And that's wonderful when you can be a part of a community like the one you've helped create. So Bruno, I wanted to thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Success in Medicine podcast. What you've shared with us is uh, going to be so helpful to our listeners. And I thank you so much for sharing your personal and professional perspectives. Oh, thank you so much, Samir. And it was a pleasure being here. And just as a last message, you know, for everyone, I just want to tell you that happiness is a journey. It's not a destination. So the process of coming here to the United States, it's full of hurdles and potholes. And I mean, it's it, it's not a straight path, you know, but most importantly, you need to fall in love with the process because it's fun. I mean, all of these things, you know, that I went through, you know, it was fun. I learned a lot and made lots of friends. And in the end, you know, I think I became a better version of myself and I become a better version of myself as I am going, you know, through this process. And that's kind of my life philosophy, at least. And thank you so much for this invitation. It was wonderful talking to you. Absolutely, Bruno. It was great having you on the show today and uh, look forward to checking in with you in the future to see how you're doing. Thank you so much. For more information about how to match successfully into a U.S. residency, please visit us at our website, thesuccessfulmatch.com. There you'll find blog posts, informative articles, and insightful Q&As with residency program directors. That's where you can also sign up for our newsletter and receive 100 free pages of our book, The Successful Match. We also have a YouTube channel where you can access our helpful videos, including these podcast episodes. You can find us on YouTube by searching for MD2B Connect. That's MD2B, spelled M as in Mary, D as in David, the number 2, B as in boy, Connect. Thank you for joining us on the Success in Medicine podcast. Until next time. I'm Dr. Samir Desai.